Galatians 4, verse 19. I want to read one verse here that Paul wrote to the church and just talk about it for a few minutes. Um, But Paul makes this really interesting statement here. Um, And what I want to talk about before this verse, I I want to talk about, about the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ. And Paul writes this verse, and this is one verse. He says this. He says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this verse. Is that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to the church of Galatia, and he starts out, My children. These are believers. These are people who have been saved Cleanse of sins, they are born-again believers. It says, my children with whom I labor again until Christ is formed in you. What's the point? The point is, I believe it's absolutely possible to be a born-again believer and not have the nature of Christ residing within you. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos. It means the anointing one or the anointed one. Christ was not his last name. A lot of people say, in Christ's name, that's really not good, God, because that's not his name. That's his title. Jesus, the anointed one. He says, I pray that the anointing is formed within you. And I really begin to just chew on what it meant to have the nature of Christ formed in me. And the Lord gave me like, and I'm not going to do all ten today, because I just don't have time. I actually got rebuked by a pastor for doing all ten in his service one day. He goes, that was just too long, brother. So, okay. But I want to just kind of hit around these items about the nature of Christ. And the first thing I'm thinking about when I think about the nature of Christ, the nature of Jesus was this number one, that he was completely dependent upon the Father. Jesus said in Matthew, I think it was the sixth chapter, when he gives the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor in spirit there means absolute poverty. Not poverty in the sense of financial gain, but poverty of spirit, that you are absolutely poor in spirit. In other words, you realize that without him, you have nothing. And I believe the greatest, probably one of the greatest things about the life of Jesus was his absolute dependency upon God. John 5, 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He understood his complete dependency upon the father. One of the greatest shifts we have to make in here as individuals and as churches, our complete dependency upon Papa. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, not him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I believe this is one of the greatest truths we have lost in churches, that my, my absolute need for God, my absolute dependency upon God, that if God does not move, I am broke, I am hopeless, I have nothing. If God does not move, nothing will get accomplished. Does, listen, this this doesn't mean I don't have my own personal responsibility. I really wish Lee was here because I can say things with Lee here and I feel better saying them when Lee's here because then he can, clean up, he can clean them up. 
I'm going to say it anyway. Forgive me, Lee. I don't know what I do. One of my struggles I have with church at times is this. It's, it's really bad teaching. I just really hate bad teaching. I guess I hate it because I was under it for so many years. Let me just be honest. My whole theology outside of salvation has all changed. I mean, I came from a sensationist church who believed that, you know, gifts died, women can't speak in church. I believed in the rapture. I believed in this antichrist dude. All that's changed. All that's changed. So I really hate bad teaching. Not that it's all bad. Some of it, some of it's my, some of it's my opinion. Let me, let me stop. Let me stop. Some of it's my opinion. Some I think really is bad. Like the gifts being for today, that really is a bad teaching. They are for today. Women not being able to speak in church is a bad teaching. Women can't speak and be, are being used in the church today, okay? That's a bad teaching. I have my own personal opinions that are thinking about teachings. Let me clarify that. So I don't have a like, Paul said this, and he was like. But one of the things I, I struggle with when I hear people is like we, we have this idea of, of the sovereignty of God. And it's really misunderstood. And we take the sovereignty of God and we say things like, well, if it's God's will, he's going to do it. Therefore, it negates personal responsibility. The sovereignty of God is not even found in Scripture. Because even in Psalms it says, you limited the Holy One of Israel. If God is sovereign and says that his will is always accomplished, then how does the Bible say that you limited Israel, the Holy One of Israel? Sovereignty understood is this, is that God answers to no one. That's God's sovereignty, is that he answers to no one. But in the sense that God is a chess player and work his pawns is a really bad understanding. And many of us came to churches that, that really teach that, maybe not out loud, but it's understood in private. And because we understood it, maybe in private, maybe it's kind of ingrained in us. We live life in the sense of if it's God's will, it's going to happen. If it's not going to will, it's not going to happen. And because we have that thought, we become robots thinking, turn me on, God, and I'll move. And, 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 we, and we lose that sense. And so it takes away personal responsibility. Thank you. I'm going to buy you a cheeseburger. Now see, Leah's heart was pure and your heart was selfish. I'll buy you a steak, Nathan, because I've known you long enough to have Leah. No offense, Leah. But, but we have to come back to the sense of I am completely dependent upon God. And yet, even in my dependency upon God, it still does not remove personal responsibility to move with God. Like Abraham. Abraham, leave your homeland and go to the land I will show you. So Abraham gets up and leaves everything he's known. And in the process of moving, because he doesn't even know what he's going to when he's leaving. But in the process of moving and being faithful in God's utter plan for his life, there he gets the word of the Lord. See, a lot of times, the reason we don't have the word of the Lord for where we want to go is because we're not moving yet. I find that God usually doesn't give the word about where you're going until you start going somewhere. It's called faith. That is a really good word right there. Glad I recorded this because that's not in the notes. And what I'm trying to learn in my own life is this. 
is that as much as I want to stay put and let God paint the whole picture on the wall, it just doesn't work that way. That's why we prophesy in part. That's why God doesn't give you the whole thing. Why? Because God wants you to walk hand in hand with him. So he gives you the word that says leave your homeland and out of the process of walking, out of the homeland you find a place. Or Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, take your only son whom you love and go to the mountain I will show you. He doesn't know which mountain to go to. He just knows those that are setting the mountains before him. And on the third day of walking, he finally sees the mountain. Dude ain't drawing a bit, he ain't drawing a, a Volkswagen. He's walking for three days in hot, humid weather. Come on, guys. And, and, and I think we just think, well, God, just do it. So we can't be that way. I digress. Number one, he was completely dependent upon the Father. Number two, and this really gets me right here, his preaching and teaching was marked by authority. His preaching and teaching was marked, not by crowds, it was marked by authority. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes, the religious leaders of the day. I love how Mark does that because Mark shows that religion does not give you authority. His teaching. Can you cut me down a little bit, Jeff? Just a little bit, number five. Thank you. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, after he preached, Peter's preaching his message of salvation. And during the message, they say, what must we do to be saved? Most churches do this nowadays. We have the sermon, we have the altar call, and we, we sing the song 10,000 times begging people to come to the gospel. Why? Because the message we preach was not the message with authority. We just got to get honest with ourselves and quit thinking we have really more anointing than we really are. Philip, at state, he's with the, the chariot. The guy from Ethiopia is on the chariot. And, and, and Philip is preaching from him Isaiah. And Philip doesn't even ask him about getting born again. The guy says, hey, here's water. Why, why can't I get baptized? What happened? Philip preaches with authority. We've got to be people who have more than just words, but our words have to carry weight with them. I, as a minister, I pray my life when I minister, I pray it carries weight. I don't, I want to know, man, when I preach, people's like, that dude spoke with a weight on it. There is nothing more embarrassing or saddening in my life when I know I preach and there is nothing on it. Because you know what I've done? I have wasted your time. You have been doing something more fruitful with your life and you stood up here for 40 minutes and heard me preach and there was nothing on it. That scares the hell out of me. Because I want to know that in my time of pursuing the Lord, I have so encountered him. And his words become so ingrained in my being. When I speak, I speak as though he's speaking. We talked last week about in the name of Jesus, what that really meant. We talked about how that in the name of Jesus meant you're standing in his stead, not ending your prayer. I want to speak with authority. More about authority. I'm going to do a little fast. Number three, 
I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but I'm going to do it anyway. Number three, his life was full of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care. I don't equate speaking in tongues to equal being full of the Holy Spirit. I realize in Acts 2 and Acts 10, and Acts 19, when they fulfilled this book, they spoke in tongues. The only times they did not speak in tongues was in Acts 8. Jesus had said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, not tongues. Am I against speaking in tongues? No. Do I think it's a sign of initial evidence? I think speaking is an initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's the only evidence. But to say you speak in tongues makes you full of the Holy Spirit, and yet you have issues with sin in your life. To say you're full of the Holy Spirit and you can't pray for sin and get healed. To say you're full of the Holy Spirit but you can't hear God. Don't tell me you're full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated a life full of the Holy Spirit. He what? He walked in signs, wonders, miracles. He heard the voice of God. He was so surrendered to the Holy Spirit, his life released the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about speaking in tongues. Does it say that? Huh. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice there in Acts 10, nothing about speaking in tongues. I love speaking in tongues. I believe in speaking in tongues. I Thank God for the gift. Listen, when you come to the Baptist church and you got tons, oh my God, what just happened to me? It was great. But I realized that tons was just, do you, do you realize that everybody who's spoken tons in the Bible just got saved? It ain't like you got saved and like 20 years later you had tons. It's like you got saved here are tons. These were babes. Speaking in tons does not make you part of the deeper life spiritual club. It just means, okay, you got, you got, you got touched with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's mature. What, what would really happen if we really were full of the Holy Spirit? I probably have used before. My water bottle is not full. Full is when my water bottle begins to automatically overflow with what's inside of it. Let me show you this. If I, if I squeeze an orange, what comes out? If I squeeze a watermelon, what comes out? If I squeeze you, what comes out? Most times, it's not the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we're full of other things. I can always tell when I'm full by what reaction I had to what comes against me. Ooh. That's a good one right there. I can always tell when I'm full by the reaction I had to what comes against me. If I have a guy cut me off and anger comes out, Thank God. But if I have a guy cut me off and I can just begin to bless him and, and I've actually had that happen, thank God. Because there are some days I will just want to cut your head off. But I'm just being real with you guys. You know that whole facade thing a while ago talking about, you know, one facades? I don't want to wear facades. So I'm just really honest with how I feel about myself. I want to be just healed completely. Don't wear any fig leaves. So I'll tell you, I have issues. I have issues with my son at times. I get ill with my son at times. I have issues with my marriage with my wife. Like, Rachel. 
Have I told her that? I need to before she does a sermon. Why? Because I don't want the crowd dealt with. I just want my crowd. I want my. I want my family. I want 991 Scabby Lake Road to be a piece of heaven. And you only have heaven when heaven's inside you. So I deal with my crowd. So I, when I struggle with thoughts, things I shouldn't let my mind go on for like a, a second or ten seconds, you know what I do? I call a friend and say, you know, I struggle today with a, a sexual thought. Oh my God, my God. Don't that so self-righteous? Because I realize I will not let the enemy beat my head in. So I will call and I confess. You know what, man? I just was on the couch, and then this thought came in. Instead of me casting it down, I, I entertained it for like a minute or like a second. What happens? I remove it. I remove the enemy's ability to have power over that situation in my life because I've confessed it before men. I think it's in the Bible. I think it's in James. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Really a good sermon. I saw man last week. There's like a wall here last week. I want to be full. I want what's inside when I walk to be poured out. I want when I take a step that is a squish, squish, one, because those rivers I'm leaving behind. Squish. Oh, God, he's pouring water in the church. Oh, my goodness, he's pouring water out. <laughs> What prophets, you know, that's why I love my trip to California because I'm with, there you go, Nathan. Yeah. Hey, I, hey Nathan, I think there's some on this side, Nathan. There's some on this side, too, man. That's why I love my trip to California because I'm with 400 prophetic people. We're all doing this stuff. I'm not by myself. It was great. It's like, my tribe. Flags and bands and people like talking about bows and arrows and, and not collecting shots of the Holy Spirit. It was great. You had to be there. For the Holy Spirit. See, I'm convinced part of being a successful leader in this house is showing you I'm willing to be vulnerable myself. You know why my son walks? Because he saw me walk. There was something inside my son that said, I want to walk, but Daddy began to mirror for him how to walk. So I've decided as a leader in this house, I'm going to take all my crap I have in my life, I'm going to pour it before you, and maybe that'll give you the grace to do it yourself. Because some of you are so afraid. Some of you are so afraid of what people may say about you. Some of it is just plain, stupid pride. And you will let your pride separate you. I was so impressed with what Danelle did at that inner healing thing. Tell you what, I've always admired Danelle. But she became a hero of mine that day. She became a hero of mine. The fact that she was willing to so lay everything out in front of humanity. I think there is no way I would do that. But I admire you for your honesty and your transparency. And I bless it on you. We need that. Let me give you maybe one more, two more, because it's 12 o'clock, and tomorrow's a holiday. Anybody cooking out tomorrow? Anybody cooking out? Who's all cooking out? All right, so I'll be at your house, and I'll be at your house, and I'll be at your house. 
Number four. Nice. Number four. He lived a life of prayer. He lived. He lived. It wasn't something he did at the moment. It was a lifestyle. He lived. He lived a life of prayer. In the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a... He went away to a place and was praying there. Mark one thirty five. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And Luke 5, but Jesus himself would often... He would often, he would, he would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from the ancient from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them, for he was performing miracles. Why was the power of God there? Why? Because he always prayed. His, his power came out of his prayer life. And there's a we don't have power because we don't have a prayer life. Listen, I'm convinced if we didn't pray for our meals, we would never pray. Most Christians, their prayer life is three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'll never forget the first time I was in Indonesia, largest Muslim country, and that stupid imam, three in the morning, it goes off. I mean, if you never heard the call to prayer in Islam, it just sounds like a bunch of dolls. I mean, it just sounds horrible. And my hotel is starting about 35, I mean, there's about 30 mosques. You can just count them. Big mosque, little mosque, little mosque, little mosque, mosque. So many mosques. I thought, man, how dedicated Muslims are that they will pray five times a day to an angry God. They will fast the entire month of Ramadan. They will fast from sun up to sundown. No food. So I finally get up because, you know, if you never really have had jet lag, jet lag is a beast. And I just really hate jet lag. I mean, you're, you're 12 hour time zone difference, it's a 28 hour flux, and your body is just like, where the crap am I? And so the next day, three in the morning, that thing goes off again, and you can hear it through the day from the I mean, it's just always going off. It's just really bad. And then the next morning, three in the morning, he goes off again. I said, I'm going to pray. So I'm not going to lay in my bed and let. People who are deceived by the devil pray to a demonic spirit. I thought, man, what if I was that dedicated in my prayer life? What if I actually cared more about pursuing him than my sleep? What if my prayer life consisted more about my needs and my wants and I actually put my prayer time about knowing his heart? What if my prayer time actually consumed me actually sitting there listening to him speak instead of me just telling him about my day? What if I actually learned to engage who he was? I want a prayer life that's powerful. It's like my mom told me this years later after I got married. You know, when I got first spiritual in 1997, my, my mom and dad thought I was loopy. They like, Paul's got a devil. Boy, ain't right. And through a series of events, God just gave me some wisdom how to walk my mom and dad through this whole event, and my mom got spirit-filled. My mom's down in the town drunk, and it comes to the Holy Spirit. I mean, wind blows and she falls down. Oh! Just, you know, it's amazing. 
But my mom told me, it was nothing. And listen, this isn't bragging. This is just what I chose to live at. I chose to live in this place. When I got touched with the Holy Spirit in August 9th, 1997, I just said, you know what? I'm 20 years old. I'm not dating anybody. I don't care about movies. I just want to know God. Because in that moment, God became so real in my life. God really became real God with me. It wasn't just ink and paper. God became living and breathing in my life. And so I would spend five hours a night in prayer. I would go on my study, 7, 7.30, and I would sit up to 12, 1 in the morning. Loved it. Back when I really loved you, I used to love, I used to love being a hen back in the day, so I had some being a hen going in the room. Holy Spirit, touch Holy Spirit. And I had this really good audio CD from a Benny Hooker Save by some different guys and really powerful songs. And I would just sit there for hours and hours and hours. And I'm just like two years old. I would just spend like five hours in the Word and in prayer and just knowing the Holy Spirit, just learning how to know God. Because it's a lifelong process. So don't rush it. Enjoy the ride. But my mom told me years later, she goes, when you would leave your room and go to work, I would go and I would sit in your room and there would be a tangible prince of God in your room. What happened? I created an atmosphere that God wanted to come dwell in. And you're the atmosphere that God wants to dwell in. He doesn't just want to dwell in you. He wants to be on you. He wants to clothe you. He wants to clothe you. That when you walk in places, people, unbelievers can sense I don't know what that was, but that was a shift in the atmosphere. I am dead serious. He wants to so wear us this morning that when we walk places, we literally begin to shift the atmosphere. I really love the Bethlehem Church in, in Redding, California. One of the greatest testimonies ever heard out of that church, and there's a lot of great ones you can talk about for hours and hours. There's a lot of new age in California. And um, there's this one particular place that's in, outside of near Red in California, big New York place. And when members of the church would go on to the, to the, the store, the owner would say, I don't know what it is, or you come in, guys, but the atmosphere just shifts. It just becomes so peaceful. What happened? They carried the prince of peace with them. How do they do that? They live, they live a life. Let me just, I'm not going to give you these. I'm going to talk about these. Number five, just if you want to make notes, number five, fasting was part of his lifestyle. He lived a fasted lifestyle. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. Grace does not remove my ability to fast. Acts 13, they prayed and fasted, and they laid, they laid hands on Peter and John. New covenant, fasting is part of the new covenant. Number six, we're going to talk about the use number six. He lived a sinless life. I believe with all my heart we can live a sinless life. I don't believe we have to sin. Adam, Adam was perfect in the garden. Adam was completely perfect in the garden, and Adam sinned. How did Adam sin? Not because he had a sin nature. He made a sin choice. We sin because we choose to sin. That is it. The devil does not make you sin. You sin, and I sin because we choose to yield to our flesh. That's another issue we've got to correct there as well. 
your flesh is dead. You have been crucified with Christ. What happens? Your old nature, your, your soul man remembers that old nature. You're, just got to stop here. I got, I got to just talk to this one for just a minute. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross now is not for your back. Why? Because you've died. You don't crucify dead things. Where was Jesus crucified at? What was the name of that place called? What does that mean? The cross went through the skull. The cross is for the renewing of your mind. What's your mind? What's your soul? Your mind, will, and emotions. Come here, Nathan. Come here, Justin. Come here, Ken. Right quick, little demonstration. Stand facing them guys. Now, choose, be careful where you stand at. Okay, well, you got it, Justin. I'm the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'm the Holy Spirit. Here is my recreated spirit. He that's joined the Lord is one spirit. We're one. We're yoked. Hey, what is We're yoked up. Here is my soul realm. Here's my flesh. Now, we say we've got to kill the flesh. No, this dude's dead. Because he's been buried with Christ at baptism. He's dead. The issue is Justin. I knew Justin was the issue. Justin's the issue. What happened? Why? Because here's my soul that needs to be made whole. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My soul comprises my mind, my will, and my emotions. So the reason we have issues here is because this dude isn't being conformed to the image. He's not being renewed. When we begin to renew him, then these two begin to work really nice together. You sit down, guys. By the way, the Bible says the, the, the word of God divides soul and spirit, not soul from spirit. It's a big difference. The Bible is dividing soul and spirit together, not apart from another. We're trying to separate them out. That's dualism. That's Greek thinking.